Welcome back to the Winging It podcast, how to build, maintain and totally own a career that you love. Every week I'm sitting down with an expert to help business owners and career women learn something new that will help them achieve success and balance in a career path that makes them happy. Today I'm sitting down with someone very special to me. She's one of the people who encouraged me to go solo and start my own business. Alison Cooper is an award-winning entrepreneur and active investor and founder of global onboard food and service solutions expert Enroute International. Most recently, Alison has founded Alicia J, a bespoke diamond and engagement ring business that aims to help young people navigate the incomprehensible minefield that is buying an engagement ring. More on that later, but today we're going to talk all about how to scale your business. If you're listening to this on your phone, make sure you get the best experience by downloading the Entel app. Entel is an interactive podcast platform that combines the best of audio storytelling with the richness of the web. So this means you'll be able to follow links, view images, follow people on social and much more by just tapping your phone. The music for this podcast is epic, I know. It's been provided by The Edit Album, a curation of copyright-free music for creatives. Our listeners get 25% off with the code SASSY25 and I'll leave the link in the description box or if you're listening on Entel, you'll be able to click the link now. So I am sat with Alison Cooper. Hello. Hello, Lucy. <laughs> I always find it weird interviewing people that I know because obviously I know what your story is, but then I have to tell it like I don't. <laughs> That's okay. I'll let you do that. So... Can you tell us your story from the beginning? Who are you? What do you do? And how did you start? So um, it's a bit of a long story, really, because I suppose I'm quite old now. But um, I did hotel management and catering at university. And during my degree, I went to work in Germany, worked for a big major hotel chain. And then at the end of my degree, decided that um, working in hotels actually doesn't pay a lot of money. So we needed to reassess. So um, I had a, I'd always been really into food. I'm a foodie person. And so I decided then that I was going to teach the Germans uh, how to uh, uh, enjoy sandwiches. Because at that time, it was like the 19, beginning of the 1990s, Everybody was talking about the sandwich market being a 1.4 billion pound market, and I thought, yes, that's what I'm going to do. Like a bit of that. I'm going to uh, do sandwiches. So, for in my madness, I um, found a, a manufacturer who uh, produced for one of the big multiples in the UK, and convinced them that I was able to set up a chilled logistics chain into Germany and do sandwiches, which I did manage to do, and it, it was to some extent successful until BSE crisis hit and uh, one of the big uh, TV stations in Germany picked up one of my sandwiches out of a major bank in Frankfurt, out of the vending machine and then kindly put my brand on my sandwiches all over television that night saying the salami and there's obviously British beef in this sandwich and oh, so that was uh, really the end of that little venture. Oh I didn't know that. Yeah yeah that was uh, that was my first part so then I ended up doing some consultancy for some uh, big catering companies and um, came back to live in the UK in 2002 after I decided that uh, my marriage was over. It was a sad story really. So I was on the plane coming home uh, on, a, on a big UK airline and I just thought this bread is just not good. I must phone them up and talk to them about bread. And that was the uh, birth of my next company really. 
uh, en route international. Uh, we went on to uh, to deliver bakery products and lots of other food products to about 45 different airlines uh, across their networks. Started off with a, an office in Windsor and uh, 15 years later by the time I uh, came to sell it, uh, we had offices in uh, the USA, Atlanta, uh, in Dubai and in Australia. How many people worked for you towards the end? Uh, I think by the time I left we were about 70, 79, something like that across the globe, yeah. So that's quite an amazing story. Um, so what does scaling a business actually mean? Scaling a business is when you grow a business at a significant rate and it's still profitable and operationally and everything, it's all still functioning and not creaking and uh, you're still making some money at the end of every month and at the end of every year. That's what I would determine scaling a business is. And did you, did you know that's what you wanted to do or did it kind of just happen naturally and then you thought, oh, I'm scaling it? Uh, when I came back and um, started the business, I literally sat myself down and said to myself, right, you've got 10 years now to make some money and um, that's what you need to do. And so I was very, very focused on uh, building the business to sell. Uh, there were certain things that I did in the early stages. I remember having a meeting with my accountant and I think in the first year we, we did about one and a half million pound turnover. Wow. And we didn't, we didn't need to have audited accounts. But for me, uh, I think the, the threshold then was five million pound turnover and then you had to have them audited. Uh, but for me, I knew that if ever I had a, uh, an investor in the future or, or somebody who wanted to buy the business, uh, if I had audited accounts from day one, that would uh, really hold me in good stead for the due diligence process. So there were certain, definitely some decisions. And people have asked me in the past, and I think the best way of saying it to somebody is, I knew which bus I was on, I knew the number of the bus, and I knew absolutely where I was getting off. And I ran all of my business decisions and how I recruited and how I grew was definitely with the end game in sight. And so when you got towards the end, I know you grew quite quickly from when you decided you were going to sell it. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we uh, within 10 years, we'd got to 14 million turnover. And um, I had funded that out of profits and um, some confidential invoice discounting. Um, but it was very, very hard. We were in the airline market, we were in perishable food, we were shipping products uh, around the globe. I mean, it was the bank's worst nightmare when you went to a bank to try and um, borrow some money to scale your business. It, we just didn't tick any of the boxes. So it was like, oh, high risk, high risk, high risk. Um, so I'd, I'd got to the point, I, think, I remember I came back from an American business trip and at the time I had an FD and I'd, uh, uh, come back with a, a potentially quite a big contract and I was really pleased with myself and uh, he said well how are you going to fund the stock and I was like well that's not my job that's your job <laughs> and it was that point when I went home that night and I just thought you've got to get somebody to invest you you're gonna have to sell some of the shares to, to get an investor so it, you know I didn't have any more bricks in my little house in, in Windsor to give to the bank so um, that's the decision we made so I knew that I would stay on. I didn't, didn't. so at the end of 10 years, I sold a significant amount of my, my shares to, yeah. to, to, to be able to scale the business to have cash flow. 
but I knew that I wasn't selling it because I wanted to sail off into the sunset and enjoy some um, well-earned money. Uh, it was because I needed to, to, to have the working capital to, to get to the next stage. So for me, it was really important who I chose to buy the business. I was going to say, how did you choose someone? Yeah, I didn't do it. Um, I did a point of mergers and acquisitions house to, to find an investor. Um, obviously, I gave them a list of potential people who I thought they could contact. At the time, some people said to me, well, why would you pay them a commission to do that? But I didn't see that as negative. For me, I did have to pay them some money to obviously raise and find me an investor. But I think that was money very well spent because you uh, it takes the emotion out of the process. I mean, this is your baby that you've uh, you've had and you've grown and you've nurtured and then all of a sudden you're, you're thinking of giving part of it away or selling it. Um, so it is a, a very emotional process. And I think that they have the conversations with the investors and some of that messaging is ta- is changed by the time it gets back to you. It's not so emotional. So it allows you to go through the process. It's also an extremely time-consuming process trying to find an investor. I think the bit that I found, you know, I was responsible for creativity and sales in my company. And during the process, which probably took from start to finish about 16 months, I still managed to sell and still... Uh, come up with some great creative products whereas if I had taken that process myself I wouldn't have been able to still scale the business during that process so yeah I think you know even though it's going to cost you some money I, I, I didn't regret the decision I made to do that so they kind of date the investor for you um no? I think yes I suppose in a way they do date but I I they were very good at soliciting from me what I wanted my future to look like. And for me, it was very much, I wanted to find an investor where it was smart money. I didn't just want money, it's like smart money. I, you know, I wanted knowledge, I wanted them to, to maybe impart some skills that I didn't have, and some market connections. And that was, for me, what I look for in an investor. Okay, that's really interesting. So what type of things should people look out for when searching for an investor? I know you just talked about smart money, but um, I know a lot of people say that they want to work with people that obviously have certain skills, but also people they get on with on a personal level. Um, so what kind of things do you think people should look for? Um, I think if you're, if you're going to get an investor that's a larger group, you need to really realise that potentially the culture and the entrepreneurship that you currently have in your company will or may have to change because you're now part of a larger group and that larger group will have definitely a different culture. So I think you need to take that on board. I mean, for me, during the um, before I sold, I spent a large proportion of my week uh, working on cash flow and making sure people paid on time so that we could honour all of our other commitments. Um, after I sold, um, I had a lot of working capital, access to working capital, so my time changed then. So my next set of problems were managing um, corporate politics or managing, um, couldn't make decisions as fast as I could do in the past. So your your emphasis changed. So I think when you're looking for an investor, there's quite a lot of books you can read, and I think um, you, you just need to be very aware that maybe the path that you're about to go on won't be the same path. And from your point of view now as an investor, because you invest in smaller businesses every now and again, um, 
what type of things do you look for when deciding whether or not to invest? That's an interesting one because I think when you've you um, when you do have access to some funds and then you go off to invest. I think first of all, I made a mistake in that I would invest in the idea and that has now changed completely is um, I invest in the person. So if I think that person's got a great idea, uh, for me, the deciding factor is can that, can that individual with this great idea, do they have the determination? Do they have the business acumen to, to take this to, to where they want to go? Are they going to be able to uh, to take this idea to the to the next stage, so I invest in the person, and probably secondary the idea. Now it's so funny, isn't it? How being get, getting on with someone on a personal level is so important. Yes, it is important, but I but I also think there is a entrepreneurs have a specific trait, and I think one of the things that I'm noticing now is a lot of millennials do have a lot of good ideas and they fancy themselves as a bit of an entrepreneur but they almost think that life owes them something and they're not prepared to put the effort and the time in to 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 get that idea off the ground and to get it to the next level so definitely you need a person who's going to be determined who's not going to be knocked down when they when they confront a problem that they are going to be able to pick themselves up the next day and uh, and go on believing in their idea. So you talked a little bit about problems there and people picking themselves up the next day. So for you, when things go wrong, what would be your advice for people when they're kind of feeling a little bit down in the dumps about something that's happened in their business and how to kind of move on from that? Um, I mean, in my case, if I was having a bad day, the, the most important thing of the advice I can give you is if you have by now got a team together, um, is you can't really let the team see that you're having a bad day. So if you are unable to hide your emotions, I think the best advice I can give everybody is just take the afternoon off or go home and go and have a good cry at home or <laughs> go, to, <laughs> go to sleep and do whatever you need to do to recover. Uh, I think the worst thing you can do is is sit at your desk and, and everybody knows that there's something going on, you're not your normal cheery self. I think you have to know when you're having a bad day, just remove yourself from the situation. Because we all have bad days. We're human. We do. And I think you just need to know you're having one of those bad days. Or, you know, you may wake up. Sometimes I would wake up in the morning and feel, actually, I don't feel like going to sit in the office today. I've got so much work to do. So I'm going to make the decision today that I'm going to stay at my office at home and get clear clear my inbox down. And I think you you have to be able to make those decisions because that's, at the end of the day, that's what's going to drive you. Yeah, I feel like I've learned that from you. Stay at home on a bad day. Yes. <laughs> so you are a very big advocate for entrepreneurship and you're constantly encouraging people to start their own business. Since I've known you, anyone that's ever said anything like, oh, I wish I could do this, you're like, why, shouldn't, why wouldn't you do it? Why should you not do it? So why is that particularly important to you? I... I felt that when I started my, I mean, bearing in mind, I started my first business in Germany and I was doing it using a second language. It was incredibly hard. Um, it's not the easiest place to start a business. Um, and there there I was, uh, a little British girl, I think it was 21 at the time, um, trying to tell the Germans that they were now going to eat something that was very British, a sandwich. So I think I probably, the school of learning that I went through was particularly harsh 
Um, when I came back to the UK, I realized that we encourage entrepreneurs in the UK. I think we were very good at that. But I feel, particularly in the case of women, that too fewer women believe in themselves to, uh, to go and build their dream company or go and follow their dreams and, and start something. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think the figures are that less than 10% of women actually manage to start a business, scale it and sell it, or actually start a business. And why do you think that is? Um, I think it's society values to a certain extent. Um, I think family and children maybe play a big part. Oh, that's uh, cool. you know, they, they, they arrive and then you've, you've got different priorities that you need to do. I don't know really, but it's it is it's a shame, and that's one of the things that I meet through lots of different events. I go, so I am very much if somebody's you know wanting to do it, I, I'll give them some words of encouragement because I do think those words of encouragement sometimes all that somebody needs. They go home and they do, and in your case, I remember at the time when you you, you left your job and were thinking of what you were going to do next or go and find a new job, and it's like well go and do it for yourself, and and yeah. you, you looked at me. Mm. like you can do it if you can do it when you're employed working for somebody you can definitely do it I feel like I was pushed in the deep end though because I left my job and I was like well I don't have anything else to do so yeah but sometimes but sometimes that's the best way because it's a fear of jumping isn't it I mean I was quite fortunate in the fact that I was living at home and and I had a couple of days work but when you when you jump it kind of just actually encourages you to just yeah. get on with it I think sometimes where the mistakes people make is they analyze too much and they think about all the ifs and buts and I the advice I'd give to somebody is you'll work it out um you know if something happens you will work it out so don't kind of try and think about all the ifs and buts that are going to happen because if you do that you're not spending time working on your idea you're spending time thinking about something that might never ever happen yeah and a lot of people have good ideas but they don't follow them through because they have self-doubt as well and then don't end up researching and all that sort of stuff I think it's self-doubt but I also think maybe they they've got people in their family or their friends that 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 look at them and think oh that's not going to work and I I'm a great believer if you really really believe in something you can make it work um it's determination that actually spurs me on when people say yeah well, that's never gonna work Oh, definitely. In my case, that's it. I've, I've had clients in the past that have told me products are not going to work on board an airline, and I've gone home and I thought, "Oh, watch this space because it is going to work." You know, I definitely think I'm one of those people that uh, if somebody tells me something's not going to work, then I'll make sure it, it does will. well. It will it work. work, and then you'll tell them. Yes. So, what are you working on now? Um. I mean, I obviously spent many years in the aviation industry and um, when I left, I did get quite a few phone calls from competitors and other companies who then said, oh, would you like to come and and work with us? But I'm very much of a believer that when when you build a company in an industry, I don't think it's particularly, I don't know, I had the way to say this, but to go and do it again uh, I did that didn't ever appeal to oh, me oh yeah because a lot of people do that they're like well I've sold it now but I can replicate it yeah and I that's never ever appealed to me so um I uh, obviously spent many years living in Germany and a lot of people in Germany live in modular ho- uh, modular homes so homes that are, are built in factories and then delivered out to site 
I th- I'm working on a di- an idea around that, which um, is taking quite a lot of time because we've got to raise investment and and uh, I've got also got to do quite a lot of research. But in the meantime, this is a this is again one where I've had quite a few people look at me incredulously to say, mm, "Don't think that's going to work." Is I have noticed, or through through my son and and through yourself, um, lots of um, 20s and year olds now that are thinking actually I'm, I'm going to get engaged or I'm going to commit to marriage and they have absolutely no idea about how they're going to, to buy an engagement ring or how they, they work out um, what to spend on an engagement ring or how they work out what diamond they need to put in it or what stones they put in it and I was thinking about it you, you somebody who's 20 something they don't actually really go to shops very often anymore they do do everything online so this thought of now having potentially to go into a jeweler's shop, which they don't do in their everyday life anyway, go into a shop and have like a, a one-to-one with somebody. Yeah. Um, so I've got this idea now called Alicia J Diamonds, um, which is basically a, a, a service. It's a, I suppose you could t- describe it as a concierge service. So somebody who wants to get engaged or somebody who'd like a really nice piece of jewellery designing and they don't know how they're going to do it or, or what it's going to look like, um, we may sat with them. We, so first of all, we might have a, a call with them, a Zoom call or something over the internet just to see what exactly what their budgets, what they're looking for. Then we, we meet up with them and then we um, hold their hand through the process. Um, obviously, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, um, and during that time, I used to treat myself to a few pieces. I was going to say, how did this start? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we did through my business. I had an office in in Dubai, and uh, every now and again, I would uh, treat myself to some uh, jewelry. So over the years, I'd have quite a lot of friends that say, "Oh, that's a nice bangle. Oh, those nice, those are nice earrings. Where did you get those?" And it kind of made me realise that if you look at the prices that you get at a high street shop in the UK or somewhere in Europe that um, they're, they're vastly overvalued uh, to what I was paying in Dubai so over the years I've you know shopped for people um, I really really love diamonds and I love jewellery I, I like things that sparkle basically um, so so yeah so that's 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 how it's kind of come about and you know we've we've only recently started um, the, the website hasn't launched yet but we've started on Instagram and um, we've done a few rings already and uh, yeah and really really enjoying it, it at Alicia J Diamonds yeah Alicia J Diamonds thank you for the plug that's all right <laughs> we recently went to Dubai and went to diamond school didn't we yeah, we did. Now that was that was really interesting because I actually did think myself that I was actually quite knowledgeable on diamonds, but it was after, like another level, wasn't it? Yeah. After the, after the first day, I was like, "Wow, there's a lot to learn about diamonds." But yeah, really, really enjoyable. We had. Yeah, it's one of those things as well. I think even if you're not in the industry, it's actually really interesting to just go and learn it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if there's there's people out there that have got time to go and dedicate uh, to 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 learning something new. Definitely, I would recommend it. Like gemstones and, and diamonds, really, really interesting. And if they don't want to go and learn that, they can probably come and do it on the website, can't they? Yes, because a large part of the of the vision that we've got for this company is is educating people about diamond purchases and gemstone purchases. And, and then on the back of that, we're also thinking that we'd like to then help 
entrepreneurs start their businesses. So one of the ideas that we're working towards is that when somebody does make a purchase of a piece of jewellery, that um, there'll be a part of the uh, website where they can go online and look at entrepreneurs to invest in. So, you know, they might choose to send £50 or something part of will put some of the money they've given us towards a towards a charitable cause to help entrepreneurs amazing love it and building a brand these days because obviously this is a new brand yeah so you're kind of starting all over again and you've just mentioned the the charitable stuff so in terms of being a bit more thoughtful and ethical in the way that your brand is do you think that's important in today's day and age yes definitely I mean, if you look at um, the brands that are, that are doing well at the moment, that are focused on millennials and, and younger people, there is a huge amount of ethical things that they, they, they look at. So It's funny because I was talking to someone yesterday and she said that in terms of brands jumping on like certain bandwagons, she said you can 100% tell. So say like, um, I don't know, a deodorant brand has suddenly like brought out a advert that's kind of like let's empower women but actually that's not what their original message was so I think it's important isn't it within a brand to kind of think about what your core yes messaging is yeah I I mean I think I mean going back to when you when you build a company and scale a company you know you need to as the person that has the vision you absolutely need to share that every day so your values and your your vision and uh, and where you're going with your company, you need to share that. And that needs to every day filter down into into your team. Because if you don't do that, they don't know what journey they're on. And if somebody doesn't know what journey they're on, they, they don't know where they're going. So I think that's some of the mistakes. You know, I think entrepreneurs can tend to be, they have so many ideas and they they might go to work and confuse people. And then you get a blurred vision and then you get stunted growth. And I think, in my early years of running my business, I would go to work because I'd have a mad idea the night before and then go in and say, oh, I've thought about this great idea. And you could see them like glazing over thinking, oh my God, we're not changing again, are we? Uh, but then I think as the years went by, I learned to have a couple of people within the company who I knew I could uh, go and share these crazy ideas with and they, they, wouldn't, um, uh, they wouldn't be thinking the strategy is completely changing later. They maybe temper my enthusiasm it. and uh, and uh, think you yeah, have there's some nugget in there that we can take forward. So I think that's something that entrepreneurs need to be aware of, especially when you're trying to scale your company. I suppose that's kind of related to leadership, though, isn't it? What do you think makes a good leader in a company? Um, you have to be able to listen, and you have to be able to empower people, and you can't be a we can't be a micromanager. Um, and everyone you, hates a micromanager and you can't also you can't do everything yourself so you have to you have to recognize that there will uh, be people that you recruit that are maybe not the finished article that you need to do the job but you have to as a leader to have the ambition to help them to get to where they need to get to and if 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 they're not doing what you need them to do you need to be able to have very direct conversations with people and I think as well, a good leader, um, if they've made um, a mistake in recruitment, they need to action it because I think you lose the respect of the team if you if you recruit somebody and they're not working out, uh, and you keep them and you keep you say to the to the team, oh, we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. 
I didn't ever really do that because I think I learned quite early on that the danger of keeping somebody in a role that hasn't worked out, the recruitment process has gone wrong for whatever reason, uh, the danger and the damage that it can do by keeping them is far worse than the little people that you're going to have when you have that you know, conversation about them exiting. That is very interesting. Yes. Oh, bear that in mind then. Yes. So, if there is one app that you can't run your business without, what would it be? And you can't say social media. And I know you're not big on social media, but... No. Um, during the last couple of years of running my company, I used to have Evernote. And I, I loved it because quite often... <laughs> I used to have a PA who was very lucky, but quite often... I'd have so many emails and I'd be trying to find flight tickets and things like that. And and the nice thing with Evernote is she could just send everything to Evernote. So if I was ever traveling or needed, I don't know, my boarding pass, I didn't have to go through emails. I could just literally go to my Evernote everywhere in the world and you can tag things and I could quite easily bring up pieces of information. You need a copy of my passport or I need a copy of my driving license or I need an ID document. It would be there and I wouldn't have to go searching through an inbox. So How does Evernote work? I tried to use it once, but I wasn't really yeah. into it. So uh, you send pieces of information to it. So it's it's like a like a an so electronic like yeah so you email it in and then they're there as attachments and then you can sort them and you can do different folders so one of the things that I used to do, I, I used to have one-to-ones with uh staff when I was growing the business and in Evernote I would keep I would write notes in their one-to-ones of things they were working towards or you know things they wanted to to achieve oh. and I would write you know handwrite their 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 my one-to-ones and photograph them and then I would send them to my Evernote. So if I was ever traveling, and because um, quite often I would have to have one-to-ones because I was traveling uh, over over my mobile phone with them, I could quickly go onto Evernote and, and look at my handwritten notes on, oh yeah, last time we spoke, we were working on this and how they got on with that. So I used to find it invaluable, it was very good. But you don't use it anymore? Well, I do and I don't because I'm not <laughs> as busy anymore, but I think I think it will be coming back. Is there anything else that you use now? Um, no, not really. I'm having <laughs> You're time. You're not really that person, yeah. are you? I did say to somebody the other day, I might go back to having a paper calendar because I do sometimes think it's easier, but there you go. You Actually. like writing in notebooks. I'm surprised you don't have a paper calendar. Yeah, maybe maybe one will be coming back. God, or a virtual PA. <laughs> one oh, or the yeah. other. Yeah, I need one of those. Um, so at the end of every episode, I usually give a motivational or inspiring tip of the week. But seeing as you're here, I would like to ask you to give this week's tip. Can you share one that you live by or that you just like? I think the one that I has always touched my heart it was a few years ago that I read it. It's a, it's a Chinese proverb. And it basically says that you cannot prevent the birds of sadness from passing over your head but you can prevent them from nesting in your hair. And I think everybody in life, we all go through life and there's going to be some unhappiness and there's going to be something that happens when you're growing your company that you didn't plan for it to go that way. But basically, you've got to take it on. It's got to kind of go over your head and you can't sit and dwell on it. So I think it's a really strong Chinese proverb and I think I, I definitely use that in my personal life and in my business life. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Yeah, it's very nice. It's a Chinese proverb. It is nice. It's very true. Thank you so much for coming on today. That was really 
fun. And we can find Alicia J Diamonds on Instagram. Yes, law of a website coming soon. AliciaJ.co.uk. Yes. And you can sign up to the J list, which is going to be an educational newsletter at some point. Yes, <laughs> we're busy writing copyright at the moment, thanks to our lovely copywriter called Joe. If you want any marketing tips for free, you can follow us at Sassy Digital. And make sure if you enjoyed this episode that you subscribe and please leave a review because we would love to hear from you. Thank you, Alison. Thank you very much. Bye.